Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 108 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Joined for the first time in a while, actually, it's because I had a couple weeks off and uh, he was not with me last week, but uh, it's been too long, my friend. Scott Coleman's with me today. What's up, Scott? What's up, Brad? Yeah, it's the uh, the first pod of the season for me. I guess that's true. Yeah, I mean, I've only done two since the season started, so there you go. Eric, uh, Eric edged you out for the first one, I suppose, but... <laughs> Uh, a lot's happened, even though not that much has happened, if that makes sense. You know, all the sample sizes are so small, we're going to get into all that stuff. But it was an eventful last couple of days. There was the rainout on Sunday. There was an awful, brutal, horrible, terrible game on Saturday if you're a Braves fan. And then tonight, as we record this late on a Monday, I apologize for the slight delay there, but uh, Monday went a lot better for the Braves as they got a home win behind Julio Tehran, which is something we've not said a whole lot of, especially at home, because um, yeah. he's been terrible at SunTrust Park. So, uh I guess we can just catch up on what's what's, what's transpired here. I guess we what should, should start Saturday because Saturday was obviously hmm. as brutal as you, as, it, as as it could possibly be, being uh, up ten two and losing and all the weather stuff. What was your reaction? Were you watching? Were you were you watching Saturday? I watched like the first six innings, and I think it was ten to two, and then we had to run some errands. We had some family and friends in town, and just had to take care of some of that stuff. Um, so I got in the car and I think I looked at my phone or turned off MLB TV or whatever. It was 10, two, 10, three looked at my phone. Oh, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes later. And I saw when it was 10, seven and I kind of laughed, but I was like, well, they, you know, they're not going to give up three more. And then I opened up my phone another, uh, like 30 minutes after that. And it was, it was like 14 to 10. So I thankfully didn't get to see the meltdown. And it was almost one of those things where you don't really believe your phone like you look at it, it's like no it's, it's it's messed up um but so i'm kind of thankful in that sense i didn't sit there and you know watch all the misery but obviously not fun it was kind of one of those i think cubs beat writer said it was kind of one of those once in a decade comebacks uh and let's hope for the brave sake that was kind of the lowest i guess the lowest loss of the year at least from a pure uh performance standpoint standpoint in the last couple innings yeah, I mean, there's a couple of uh, memorable ones in the couple, in the last couple of years, but that was sort of an all timer. I mean, especially um, you know, blowing the lead is, is what it is. But even the last couple of uh, plate appearances in that in that fateful uh, eighth inning, where where the lead was already gone, and the lead was suddenly uh, you know when uh, Chicago's lead was suddenly stretched to four, when the Braves were just kicking the ball around, and it was yeah. uh, it was majestic how bad that inning was um, from all the walks and. I mean, it, it brought out the it brought out all the hot takes on the bullpen as well, which was pretty funny because you know famously the bullpen had, had been quote unquote good early on in terms of ERA, but they've been walking the park and that sort of all came to a head. And granted, you know Chicago, even Joe Madden was talking about how they how they never should have played that game. So it's one of those things where yeah. it's kind of tough to judge if you're us, um, not that close to it in terms of the performance and how much of that could have been weather related, but at the same time. The walks weren't new in the bullpen, and by the way, they happened again on Monday. Even though the Hawks, uh, the Hawks, even though the Braves, um, you know, they had 
they they had they had three innings of uh, shutout baseball from the bullpen on Monday night. Still had three walks. So it's not like this is going to be going away. And I think there was a lot of arguments on Twitter about you know how bad the bullpen is based on that one performance. I think it's sort of in the middle. The bullpen's not been as good as it was actually as good as it was for the first you know 13 games of the season and it's not been as bad as it was on Saturday yeah. obviously. Yeah, there was some course correction in there because yes. they you know I think ERA wise it was like 1.8 and obviously and again, you know, this bullpen has been solid as you said, but it that would make it I mean no bullpen has a 1.8 ERA over a full season. So it was due some correction now it, it certainly came I guess more rapidly than what we would have hoped. We you hope that that kind of corrects itself over a week instead of over two or three innings, but uh, altogether, that was uh, obviously a disaster, and hopefully they got it out of their system. And I think tonight you mentioned three walks, but Minter was able to work in and out of some jams, and uh, Viz was able to to nail down the ninth. And I think it was just a, I, I think a good bounce back, if you will, because you don't want a, a bad inning uh, like on Saturday nights or Saturday afternoons to linger, and all of a sudden, you know, one bad game turns into three or four, and before you know it, you're on the wrong side of 500, and, and seasons can just kind of spiral. Uh, out of hand or uh, just start going the wrong way based on one bad inning early on. Yeah, I think uh, hopefully if you're a Braves fan, you'll be uh, allowed to forget this performance later in the season. I think if they had lost on Monday, it would have sort of spiraled a little bit more. And I think yeah. uh, actually Snicker weirdly managed like the game was more important than it probably was, which is nice to see actually. I think Snip made a couple of moves that you don't normally see him make, like going to Minter in that spot on Monday night was interesting. Uh, going with Lane Adams defensively with a lead in place of Yeah, Marcakis. super defense. Took Marcakis and Tucker out. Yeah, like that's stuff that Snit doesn't normally do and that I would endorse. So, uh, I mean, credit where credit's due to Snicker, who I thought actually did a pretty good job on Monday. Uh, our thoughts are well-documented on Brian Snicker, but I thought he did a pretty good job on Monday, so that's worth pointing out to be as uh, fair as we possibly can in this space. Uh, one, one thing in terms of the bullpen is that Luke Jackson got DFA'd after Saturday, and that wasn't a huge surprise. He's been not very good for a while. That prompted a couple of questions. Actually, one of them, I guess we can just answer now from uh, Adam Cantrell asked us, is it unreasonable to ask a couple of the starters that have not, that have not necessarily uh, broken through just yet, haven't been quite successful to move to the move to the bullpen. seems like we have several stars that are good enough for three or four innings, but not after that. Of course, we should point out that a couple of these guys actually have worked in that role, you know, between Lucas Sims and, you know, Max Freed worked in the bullpen at, at certain points. But I guess the overarching theme is kind of like, do you see any more bullpen changes coming? Uh, and if you do, what could they possibly be? Yeah, at this point, I'm I'm probably not alone in sharing the idea that uh, Aaron Blair and uh, Matt Whistler are not likely to be big league pitchers or at least big league starters, and it's probably worth checking out to see if they can relieve at some point. I actually think Aaron Blair is pretty badly hurt. Um, I know that came up a couple days yeah, ago. I think he got hurt, had a collision at the plate. Um, the guy who, and it's really kind of the trend in baseball right now, I think Max Fried will become – I think his eventual role is kind of the super reliever that more and more teams have. Josh Hader with the Brewers is is kind of the newest trend. Obviously, the Indians turned Andrew Miller into it and a couple other teams where really you just have this kind of not even a long man, but a guy that you can throw for two or three innings, generally someone who used to be a starter. So they have the ability to go multiple innings and they just let it rip. And, you know, Hader said that when he was a starter, he couldn't max out at, you know, mid 90s or whatever the heck he throws and I think that Freed might be in that same mold. I'm, I'm not sure that Freed, just with his with his past, is somebody who is going to be able to to consistently throw six six or seven innings in the big leagues. Um, but if if he's able to turn into a super reliever and throw two or three innings every couple days and crank it up to the mid 90s and with that big curveball, I think that's 
somewhere he could be really effective. And, and honestly, it would just kind of be a sign of the Braves following a trend of other teams of, of having uh, a really just kind of a stud reliever who you can uh, go to at any point. Obviously, that's easier said than done. But I think a guy like Freed is what you look for when you're trying to identify uh, kind of the new hybrid reliever that teams are going to. Yeah, that wouldn't blow me away at all, I think, especially if the Braves feel that he, he's not going to be able to be a breakthrough starter, which it's probably a little early to decide that. Yeah. But at the same time, some of these guys are not going to hit, as we all have talked about numerous times. Um, you know, Blair would have been, and that's a guy who we've mentioned before. I think he, pro, he profiled better in that role than somebody like Matt Whistler, who was those two Those two guys were really the ones that we always talked about being out of the bullpen in the last you know year or so. Um, Lucas Sims is another interesting one. It's like, Maybe that plays up. I'm not sure. But, I mean, the answer is it's not unreasonable to think about these guys in that role. I think at some point we're going to see one or two of these guys in a permanent bullpen role, and maybe they'll actually perform well. But, I mean, I think in terms of the actual – the other part of the question with, um, you know, the starters sort of being worse second, third time through the order, that's going to happen basically everywhere. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. I just think – you know the bullpen's going to not be as bad as it was Saturday, but again, I think the walk issue is real. Uh, even the even the I mean, aside from Mintu, I'm not really worried about it at all. Even you know Vizcaino's got a walk problem right now. This is all kind of there's some there's some warning signs in the bullpen. We'll, we'll just leave it there and say that uh, I don't think they're going to suddenly be this as good as they've been. Um, you know Saturday excluded overall, and that could lead to some changes. And we've already seen one with, with, with Luke Jackson, obviously. I'm with you. Hopefully, to the weather warming up. I can't imagine sitting in you know 30, 40 oh, degree weather. Yeah. Not to make excuses because both teams have to deal with it. But I mean, just as a as a human being who sat in the cold before, you can imagine sitting out in the bullpen uh, when it's forty degrees for two or three hours, then having maybe five minutes to warm up, and then you're facing big league hitters. Uh, again, not an excuse because everyone has to do it, and they're you know they're pro athletes. They do you know they're paid for a reason, but. Um, yeah, hopefully as it warms up a little bit, life becomes a little easier on those guys. Absolutely. Uh, all right, now we, we can move to the main event now, Scott. It's time to discuss Ronald Acuna. We didn't lead with it on purpose because everyone's leading with it, but it'll, be, <laughs> it'll still be the meat of this podcast. Uh, obviously, you know, the elephant in the room is that he's not up yet. He uh, was in Gwinnett on Monday. Um, that was, uh, you know, long reported and long talked about, uh, you know, before the season started. We all kind of expected um, him not to be with the team out of Springs, <laughs> and then, of course, that happened. But, you know, most projections, if not all projections, uh, thought that he'd either join the team in Chicago over the weekend or at the very latest, pretty much, uh, on this particular night on, on, the, on, the, on the homestand opener on this Monday. That was actually the date that I actually thought he was going to be was tonight. And uh, obviously there's no indication that he's going to be anywhere close. In fact, a good friend of the program, Mark Bowman of MLB.com, wrote the following sentence on Monday before the game. He says, when the season began, there was reason to project Acuna would make his much-anticipated Major League debut either in the just-completed series against the Cubs or on Monday when the Braves began a seven-game homestand. The Braves were open to this possibility until Acuna struggled at AAA Gwinnett. End of sentence. Um, let's just talk about this because yeah, you know, lots there's, there. there's lots to go on. Um, I guess just op- your opening thoughts on Acuna not being here, whether it be surprise, uh, frustration, I saw some actual anger, not necessarily from you, but from a lot of uh, Braves fans in the last couple of days. There's a lot to unpack, but what was your uh, first reaction when you sort of it, it sort of became reality that he wasn't going to be coming up? I want to say it's probably just frustration. I think the fan in me obviously wants to see him and, and see what he can do. I think the the more of the realist side of me understands where the Braves are coming from. 
He has not hit super well. Now, obviously, we're talking about a very small sample, and he really hasn't had much of an opportunity. But you look at him, he's striking out in about a third of his appearances. Um, tonight, he went 0 for 3. did draw two walks, but also struck out twice more. Um, and, and somebody who was at the game tonight said that he's just not getting anything to hit. And pitchers or AAA pitchers know who he is. Obviously, they're not they're not pitching to him. And because of that, uh, as a you know a twenty year old who's never really been pitched around before, you know it's different when Freddie Freeman gets pitched around for a series. He's been pitched around for the better part of you know three years now. Um, so because of that, I think there's probably some pressing and some expanding of his zone for Acuna. Um, there's also some just probably natural wanting to show out and and be worthy of the number one prospect type and everything like that. So I guess where I said is it's frustrating from the fact that he hasn't been better. And I would obviously like to see him uh, starting in left field, you know, moving forward. Uh, but I also understand where the Braves are coming from. Um, the fact that, hey, you know, what, what kind of message does it send to other prospects, I guess, if, hey, you went whatever he is, four for 33 in the minors, I guess after tonight he'd be. Uh, four for for 36 hey you were four for 36 in the minors but you're coming up anyway because you're you're a top you know the prospect list have you as one of the top prospects I can see where they're coming from but at the end of the day I think it's all going to work itself out Um, I I can't imagine this is going to go on for too much longer I think the Braves are in a situation where they're just waiting on Acuna to go uh, you know have a a five for ten stretch with a little power and then all of a sudden he's he's coming right up so I I would hope that within the next week or so it'll be resolved, and, and I, I have a feeling that it will. Yeah, and that, I'm with you. I think uh, the outrage went a little bit too far in some corners of uh, Braves country. I will say that. No. I, uh, yeah, exactly. I disagree with the decision. I think he should have been, you know, I think he should have been up to start the season, but uh, at the very least, I think it's sort of disingenuous to not bring him up now. I, th- I think the sample size is small enough to where I, I don't care. Uh, we've we've seen him tear up this level. It'd be different if he had not tear, uh, torn up AAA last year. There's no reason to think he can't be good in AAA. Like this is not a guy who has no track record, track record of that. We've seen him, you know, absolutely murdering what last year. So I'm not worried at all about the slow start. I do think uh, you know there's a lot of um, takes on both sides. I'm not upset about it. I think is the best place to put it. And frankly, you know this this shouldn't matter, but I'm sure it does. Um, Tucker and Marquecas both hitting the ball well is not yeah. gonna push them to do this any faster. I, again, I don't I don't agree with that line of thinking necessarily, but the Braves can seriously just say, "Look, Preston Tucker's hitting, and Nick Marquecas is hitting, and there you go." Um, I don't again I don't believe that to be an actual reason, but they certainly could say that with a straight face, and it'd be true. And by the way, I think this is something that people pointed out. A couple of smart people that I trust pointed out today is that. One of the big things um, with this is that Anthopolis sort of alluded to this a couple of times and sort of saying that he thought guys were pushed uh, too fast before he arrived. And I think he's yeah. almost going out of his way to make a point here, almost. Like, look, at, look guys, we're not going to move guys fast here. We're going to be the opposite of the previous regime. And I think that's mm. sort of what brings this out. I'm not, 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 not necessarily saying that like that's the only reason why he's not doing it, but it does sort yeah. of send a message that those days are over. That's a good point. You're right. I mean, it's easy to just kind of forget that obviously it's an entirely different front office. And we saw that how aggressive the Braves were with copy and heart, even the, like the national prospect writers were like, Holy crap, they got to, <laughs> they're really moving these guys. Um, and not every team is as aggressive. And, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head there that Anthopolis is obviously operating a little different. And he did mention stuff. I hadn't thought about that. 
Yeah, I just think, I mean, in retrospect, I, frankly, I, I didn't see this coming up. I didn't see this coming. I thought it was going to happen like we all thought it was going to happen and he'd be up. I'm sure that if he had been hitting 500 in AAA, he'd be up. Yeah. Um, but they actually can use a straight-faced reason. And again, I don't care about the small sample size. It doesn't bother me at all. But, uh, you know, there's just a lot of layers to it. I think that's, that's just one of them. And, I mean, it's too difficult to tell, but it looks like, I mean, they are they going to hold him until he has that stretch? I guess, I guess he might. I mean, maybe it'll be easier if either Bartekas or Tucker suddenly fall off the cliff, which could certainly happen on both on both counts. But, I mean, do we see Acuna by the end of the homestand? I mean, this is this is a seven-game homestand to which I, I bet a lot of people try to buy tickets looking for Ronald Acuna to see them for the first time. And I, I know people firsthand that were in attendance tonight thinking they were going to see Ronald Acuna and then did not see him. So, I, I mean, that's, that's a small consideration, but it's a real one. Yeah, I, again, I kind of talked about the fan in me wants to see him yesterday, but there is that side of me that's seen, you know, it's it's the Dansby Swanson argument. Now, I'm not comparing Dansby Swanson around the Cunha because they are very different players. But we saw how quickly and aggressively the Braves promoted Dansby. And, it, it you know, it might have really cost him. Now, obviously, he's been able to turn it around. And, again, I don't want to go down that road too far because you're talking about two completely different players. But there is a fine line between when guys are ready and when uh, you know, when performance matches, whether or not they should be called up. And I don't think anyone really knows. Again, I think we're on the same page of whenever Acuna comes up, he's going to hit, he's going to be just fine. Nobody, at least nobody should be freaking out after, was it 12 AAA games of him struggling? Um, he's also a notoriously slow starter. I know a couple folks have mentioned that uh, last year he really got off to a slow start for the first like two weeks. Uh, I guess that would be an A ball before really picking it up and eventually moving on and everything. Um, so maybe he is just a slow starter. Maybe he doesn't like the cold. Um, but I'm hoping, I guess, next time we meet on this podcast that, that Acuna is up in, he's up in Atlanta. Yeah, that would be nice. And, you know, just I don't think I have your thoughts on the record on this. What happens in your mind? I think we kind of know what's, what the answer is going to be. What happens in your mind when he does arrive, provided, uh, you know, Tucker and Martin? Provided it's not an injury. If everybody just is yeah. what they are, what, what do you think happens in terms of the roster and the lineup when Acuna arrives? I would imagine that, I mean, what I want to happen is that Preston Tucker gets to keep playing every That's day. That's not and they, what I asked you, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would imagine that Preston Tucker becomes uh, kind of the fourth outfielder. I don't really know how he fits as the quote-unquote fourth outfielder since he's not great defensively and can probably only play left field. But um, I would imagine he becomes the primary pinch-hitting option off the bench, which would certainly help things out. Um, you put Acuna in left for whatever reason. If, if the Rays want to argue that left field is bigger than right field, okay. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to freak out about that. I think long-term, well, long-term, ideally, he's a center fielder. But again, that's probably a whole other discussion. But if they want to put him in left, so be it. You make Tucker the left, uh, the uh, backup outfielder. You know, and, and again, I think with Acuna being so young, I won't hate it if the Braves want to give him a you know a day off every week just to kind of mentally decompress and, and take a day off and everything like that, go over everything. And, and the same for Marcakis, obviously, if, if they're going to keep him around. Uh, you know, replacing Marcakis on the day game after the night game, I won't, I won't fuss over too much, um, obviously. So I think that's what's going to happen. I'm not really sure what that means for someone like Lane Adams or, or Peter Burgess, who are strictly defense and speed guys. They obviously don't give you much at the plate. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm leaning. Um, and then as far as the whole lineup and all that, I would imagine Acuna starts low. And then um, as he hits better, 
you move him up, it's actually a pretty interesting debate right now, just with how you know Dansby swinging, and <clears throat> obviously Ender has struggled. And um, you know, at this point, I'm kind of leaning towards having Acuna fourth, just to give Freddie some protection. Um, it also helps balance out the left right left right thing a little bit. But um, I would imagine at least for the first couple games, you break him in at seven or eight, which is fine. I mean, uh, again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get too upset over if they want to break in a 20 year old at the bottom half of the lineup his first week in the majors. Yeah, I expect that to happen as well. I mean, especially given, you know, Snickers track record, I can't imagine he's going to be hitting cleanup, which is where we all think he's probably going to eventually land up if he hits the ball well this season. And, you know, I guess we're sort of in the lineup portion of the pod right now. So I'll, uh, let's just talk about this now. I wrote about Ender earlier. Um, I guess it was last week now um, about not necessarily about his struggles this season, but just how he's not a lead feeder. And it's something we talked about on this podcast several times in the past. And it's not, in fact, I think I'm probably higher on Ender than a lot of people are, which is why it was funny coming from me, and I think I probably could have written it better in some ways, but people thought I was overreacting to the small sample size. I could care less about Ender having a 29, 29 WRC Plus this year. It has nothing to do with that. It's more of a, that being a reminder to some of the casual fans who now now want to move him out of the leadoff spot where he always should have been out of the leadoff spot. How does that affect your thinking overall? Because, like, I mean, I've posited that my ideal one, two, three in the future is going to be is Albies, Freeman, and Acuna. One, two, three. That's not going to happen. We all know that. If Snickers the manager, Freeman's going to hit third every day till he dies, which is fine. But if we assume Snickers is the manager and he's never going to um, do the weird thing, would you go Ozzy? Would you go Ozzy one, Dansby two? Would you do other things like? Yeah. What is your real your realistic ideal lineup? Knowing that Snickers is going to get too crazy. I would imagine it would be. Ideally, it would be Ozzy, Dansby, Freddie, Acuna, assuming he's kind of settled in and hitting like we all think. I think that top four is gives you the best chance. And uh, as they say, leadoff is such an whoever bats leadoff is such an overrated thing as far as matching the profile of a leadoff hitter. As you know, as Joe Madden always said, and he said for years, you know, leadoff hitter only hits leadoff once a game. I mean, other than being the first batter out of the dugout. And people know this, of course, but you know, it's such a, a silly thing to try to match a player in the leadoff. You need to get your best hitters up top. So that's why, I like Ozzy and Dansby up top, doesn't hurt that they're they're fast and can move. Uh, get Freeman and Acuna four five or three four. Um, ideally, you find a, a power hitting third baseman. Now, whether that's someone in house or out of house, I think you eventually get them in the third spot. I guess for this lineup with Acuna fourth, I would imagine you put. Well, I would put Preston Tucker fifth, but I, in this scenario, you'd probably put Nick Markakis fifth, just again for the left, right, left, right thing. Probably the catcher that night, six. Um, and then, you know, Ender seven and Camargo eight. And it's not a knock on Ender, it's just he's not as good of a hitter as, as Ozzy or, or right now as good as Dansby. And I just would prefer those guys to be at the top of the order. I think it also helps that you have a couple of. Uh, faster guys who get on base a decent clip with with Ender and and with Camargo seven eight and hopefully the lineup flips over and then you have your some of your best hitters then obviously one two three four so that's kind of what I would look at but again I think we'll have a lot of moving parts and I'm also somebody who doesn't hate if if a manager twink you know tinks around with the lineup and changes things so that's kind of where I stand yeah and I think it's uh, worth pointing out I, th- I probably should have dove into this a little bit more with what I wrote but. It's not as if I'm saying Ender's a bad player. Ender's been a three-win player, you know, basically three years in a row now, and a lot of that's defensive. But people, I think, latch on. At least a segment of the fan base latches on to the fact that he, you know, he hit 304 last year and had 200 hits. Like I understand, like last year he was a he was a positive hitter. 
it wasn't a hugely positive hitter. He had a he had, a, he had an exactly 100 WRC plus, and that is fine. But that was at least for what we can see. That might be his best season of his career. We talked about that even at the end of last season. That you know he got pretty lucky to get there. He had 718 plate appearances, which is insane. That's the reason why you don't want to have Ender hitting leadoff is that he had you know 60, 70 plate appearances in some of his other contemporaries last year, and that is a problem. Like you want your best hitters hitting at the top of the lineup and Ender for all of his strengths, including defense is never going to be one of your best hitters. And if he is, you're in trouble because that's not why he has value. There, there's value to having a league average bat. That's fine, but it's not, that's not why he's as good of a player as he is. So without getting too deep into that road, I just want to sort of flush that out a little bit. It's like, I understand he had 200 hits. I understand he had 300, you know, I get it. He's not an awful hitter by any means. And this year, I don't care about the very small sample that we've seen so far. He's not going to be this bad. He had a nice, uh, he had a nice at bat in his first plate appearance on Monday, and you know, probably made some of his best contact of the season. It's one of those things where he's going to snap out of this. I just, I'm just not sure that means that even even if, basically even if, even if last year was the baseline, he still shouldn't hit leadoff. If that makes sense. Like, I don't, you know, it's not. I don't. I think I'm preaching in the choir with you on this one, but there's just you have to look past. 200 hits and a guy who plays center field and runs sort of fast. Like it's just not, that doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. And again, it's easy. As you said, it's easy when you write something like what you wrote to come off as you're bashing Ender. You're not, it's not his fault. He's, he's not somebody who you ideally want as a one or a two hitter. He's, he's a really solid player. He's a player who I think you want on a winning team, you know, gold glove defense in center field, a guy who, as you said, an average hitter, going to get on base, gets on base at a reasonable level, you know, 350 OBP. Okay. Maybe you're not at the top of the order, but there's a lot of value in that, obviously. And he has the great contract. So again, it's not as if for people who, cause I've gotten called the same thing. Why are you so against Ender? Why are you so anti Ender? We're not. It's just, he's not somebody who with the current crop of talent on this team now is someone you necessarily want leading off. Um, but that doesn't make him a lesser player by any means. It just means he probably shouldn't be leading off on the team. Correct. So, yeah, moral of the story, I'm still as high on under as I was two weeks ago. I don't care about this. It's just you can be a good player and not be a good, and not be a good leadoff hitter, and that is what he is. Um, so, yeah, we can move on from Ender, who, you know, it's there's going to be a segment of the population that just never understands our, our point of view on that, which I understand. We can we can move on from there. Uh, quickly here, before we get into the uh, a little bit of mailbag stuff, a couple of pitching items to hit on. Brandon McCarthy left his last start, but he's projected to start on Wednesday, no real worry there, but it was a reminder when you saw him injure yeah. his shoulder, you sort of reaching back uh, to cover first base that he's very fragile. Um, yeah, he's an old, that's an old man injury. He's an old man. He's been injured basically his entire career off and on. Like you're just holding your breath with Brandon McCarthy that he's going to be able to get to June. You can trade him because I, I just can't see a scenario where he throws 180 innings. I just don't see yeah. it. But maybe I'm. Maybe I mean. It, I guess it could happen. And by the way, he might be the best, he might be the best pitcher on the team when he's healthy, which is kind of funny. But yeah, he's been good. You know, he mentioned. I think he said last year he was lifting weights and dislocated his shoulder for the first time. And thankfully, I've never dislocated my shoulder. But I've heard that the first time you do it, it's kind of scary as hell. And then you're going to do it a whole bunch more. Just it's one of those things. Once you do it once, you do it a bunch. Um, and he, the way he reacted, he, he at least kind of felt like he knew what happened and that was a good sign. Obviously he didn't go back in the game, which why would you, if you just dislocated your shoulder, but I'm with you. I kind of held my breath when he, when he started grabbing his shoulder, cause it would be bad to lose him right now. 
Yeah, that's a guy you need, especially because uh, Luis Gihara is not back yet, of course. And Gihara is uh, apparently on track to return sometime in early May, according to Dave O'Brien of the AJC, which puts him on about the timeline that you would have thought. But that's about a month. I mean, it could be another month now. And they don't really have that ready-made guy to fill in if something happens. I think it was actually a little, a little bit of buzz. Maybe it was created by people like us. But Mike Soroka could be next in line because he's been awesome yeah. at AAA, which is crazy because he's so young. Um, I'm not sure they would do that, but at least that's a possibility. But I guess I guess I, I guess I have to ask you what does happen if, if, if for instance, McCarthy had to miss a start. What, what would they actually do right now? You think? Hmm. Uh, if he had to miss one start or or two starts, I would imagine they would. If they couldn't skip with the schedule, I would imagine they would call up Matt Whistler. If it was like a one or two starts, I don't think they would call yeah, up for a start or two. Um, if Tomorrow night, Mike Fultonevich gets hurt and he's done for the year, which would not be fun. But if he missed the rest of the season, boy, I, uh, I would imagine in that case they would also go to Whistler until Gahara is healthy. Um, I, I personally, I think we're going to see Soroka midsummer, late summer, as you mentioned with with McCarthy. Maybe they try to trade him if he's still healthy, um, or, or maybe not if, if they're still winning games. I, they're probably not going to start selling. Um, maybe they do something funky with a six-man rotation. Maybe they start to kind of as the Dodgers did last year. Of course, um, I, I, I'm forgetting his name, but the Braves brought over more or less their player operations uh, guy from L.A. who worked with Anthopolis, and he was kind of the king of manipulating the DL since the Dodgers had six starters last year. So maybe they'll get creative and start figuring out ways because obviously if Gohara is healthy, he's, he's shown he can get big leaguers out. Um, Anibal Sanchez so far has been good. I'm he's been really good actually. Uh, all things considered, I'm not really ready to buy his career resurgence um, after after two starts. But um, I guess if he keeps hitting or keeps pitching, I'm, I'm not sure what they do. Um, I would guess if if everything is going well and Tehran's still pitching well and Gahar or uh, uh, Anibal is pitching well and Fulte and Newcomb and everyone are going well and McCarthy's healthy, they would start to manipulate the DL a little bit and go to a, a six-man rotation of sorts. Yeah, I mean, the worry right now is that, you know, as you mentioned, they could probably get through a small a small you know ding here or there with a the pitcher, but you already have Animal Sanchez in the rotation. Like, yeah. it's not a situation where they're super set up to have a long-term injury, especially right now. If they can get to Gohara being back, you're a little bit safer, and then by that point, you would you would hope that one of your young guys is maybe ready to go, whether it be Soroka or something else in July, um, if that were to take place. So, just uh, something to keep an eye on there, and hopefully the this this uh, quintet, you should say, hmm. can get to uh, at least to one Gohara returns before they start falling apart. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I'm, I'm with you. Things are good now, but uh, I think. And I think the Braves know too that they probably are working on number days with guys like McCarthy and, and Sanchez. Oh yeah. Um, but it, it's a good scenario. It's a good situation to have. I don't think anyone wants to see Matt Whistler starting big league games. Uh, no offense to him, but no one wants to see Matt Whistler starting big league games right now. Um, but as you said, get through the next couple weeks and hopefully Gohara looks good and healthy and can stay healthy. Get him in the mix. And you know, as, as we all heard the scouts say this this uh, this spring that. Soroka might be the best pitcher on the team or second best pitcher on the team right now. Um, not that him getting more experience in AAA is a bad thing by any means. I think it's a good thing, especially since he's so young. But again, it's it's a good scenario to have some some good young pitching in the upper levels of the minors. He is so young still. I, I love him. Yeah. But um, I mean, nobody nobody loves him like Eric does. But he is uh, very, <laughs> very 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 young. Um, one real quick thing before we get away from the rotation. Um, 
I mentioned Julio earlier on the when we started talking about what happened on Monday, but um, are you worried about Julio? I think that's everybody's sort of worried in, to some degree about Tehran, given that he's walking, you know, almost six per nine this year. He's not been very good. He's got uh, 13 walks, 21 strikeouts, and that's after a game where he had nine and three. So before that, it was basically walking as many guys as he was striking out. This is the best start of the season by a wide margin, but I think a lot of people that you and I interact with. Uh, what, what I would consider to be pretty informed fans, people that take this stuff very seriously, check this stuff out and check out, you know, pitch graphs, and all that kind of stuff are very worried about Julio kind of like almost being washed. Maybe that will yeah. slow a little bit after tonight, but uh, are you leaning that direction or no? He's going to have to reinvent himself. If his fastball really is topping out at 88, 89. Um, he, he did tonight. He threw more breaking balls tonight than I can really remember in one of his starts, but He's gonna. They showed him talking to Anibal Sanchez in the dugout, who is kind of the king of just throwing junk up there. Um, he's not quite to that level yet, I don't think. But yeah, if his if he has to go max effort to hit ninety or ninety one, there was a scenario where he had to get a strikeout and he huffed up to ninety one on a fastball. Um, but even that, I mean, if you're having to go max effort to hit ninety one on a fastball, you're gonna have some issues. So he's gonna have to reinvent himself a little bit. I'm not quite in the you know, his career's toast. He's a, you know, fifth starter for another year or two, and then he's going to fade away. I'm not quite at that level yet, but he's he's got some changes to make if he's going to keep pitching at a, you know, a somewhat reasonable level. Agreed. I'm, I want to see more, but uh, the velocity is certainly concerning because he, you know, given his home run issues, that's really the thing. Like, even when he was throwing harder, he had, he had home run issues. And if it's a spot where he's throwing in the high 80s regularly, it's going to be... Yeah, tough. What was the what was the stat? I think I saw. He's. I think it's twenty two home runs allowed in one hundred and two innings at SunTrust. Yeah, so, that's crazy. That is a mind blowing number. And again, it's a pretty small sample. I know one hundred innings doesn't seem that small. It's a pretty small sample, but still, that's that's jarring. Um. Anyway, we'll see what we can get out of Tehran. And by the way, it's actually interesting. We talk about his contract all the time because it's uh, there's a club option on the end. I think it only runs another two years. Uh, sorry, yeah. another one year after this. So like if the if the Braves fall in a situation where Tehran does kind of fall apart here, it won't be as bad as you might think contract-wise. They have the value because of the option, but that's only if he was good. Like we always talked about how good the contract was, and it was, but that was also relying on him being a good pitcher. If yeah. he's not a good pitcher, they can kind of get out from this uh, almost after the season if they wanted to. Yeah, I mean, it's it's guaranteed through 2019, but I think next year he's owed, was it 10 or $11 million, which um, – it's certainly not anything crazy, and there is, I think, a million-dollar buyout tacked on for 2020, but obviously that that's not a big deal. So I'm with you. I think it was you and I who actually had that conversation. Yes. I didn't really realize it, and I was like, oh, wow, that's that's really not a whole lot of contract left. I, I was thinking he was someone signed through 2021, something like that, um, and who knows? Maybe he will be able to turn it around, but again, if it is nice to at least know that if for some reason – uh, his career kind of comes to an end after you know, eight really solid seasons, honestly. I mean, he's had a pretty solid career uh, up until this point. But um, if it does come to an end, it's not as if the Braves are on the hook for another four seasons. They can get out relatively easily. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, all right, we can move on from there to the mailbag a little bit. Um, you know, got a lot of good got a lot of good questions about a lot of different things. I don't want to exhaust. I, I had this feeling when we were talking to – I was talking to Eric last week that I'm going to like – exhaust basically every topic in in april and then have nothing to talk about from may to august so i am going to be cognizant of that at this point in time but um one question i thought was interesting and funny and uh kind of uh on brand for right now it comes from Corey dell and he asks he, he he says i know the season the season is still fresh but just for fun 
what does an Ozzy Alwi's extension look like if it was signed today? Which I know is impossible. Mm-hmm. That's, this is me talking now. I know it's impossible to figure that out. But if we've seen these, we've seen these, these happen before, where you get a guy who's just made that sort of that breakthrough, and you you and you go and you look to try to go sign him long term. So, I mean, we talked. I saw some people writing about Ronald Acuna extensions, and he was uh, there was that report that he turned one down, et cetera. I'm not sure if any of that's true, et cetera, et cetera. But if it was Albies right now, if you were the Braves trying to offer him an extension that he might accept, it's probably the best way to do this. What, mm. would, you, what would you try to do? You know, I think it's funny because the two guys played on the same field tonight. I think the Scott Kingery deal would be something that uh, maybe a little bit of a richer version of the Kingery deal because I think the Phillies got off pretty cheap in that one. Um, but Kingery signed six guaranteed years, um, six years like guaranteed. Five million or something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking. I'm trying to find the number now. Oh, I see it now. There uh, is twenty-four. A, uh, yeah. yeah, twenty-four million guaranteed over six years. Um, so I guess that comes out to what four million dollars a year on average. Now, obviously, his first three years are, are league minimum years, and then he, that's three arbitration years, and then three club options. Um, it looks like at twelve, thirteen, and fourteen. No, thirteen, fourteen, and fifteen million in the uh, year seven, eight, nine. So I would at least think. Ozzy would entertain something like that, maybe a little more money guaranteed over the first uh, six years. Maybe you do something like um, six years and, in, in, I don't know, $36 million. So you have an average of $6 million a year. Six years, $36 million, throw, throw a signing bonus in there so he can get some you know immediate security with it. Um, and then to kind of make it worth the Braves' while, if you put two option years on there for $15 million or something like that, um, I don't know. I mean, that's he's 21 years old. You'd be guaranteeing him 36 million. Um, yeah, so I'll say a, a slightly richer version of what Scott Kingery signed a couple weeks ago. Yeah, that's probably a good starting point. I think people always freak out when they hear like a number that small. But and I, I think you alluded to it there is that those league minimum years are never going to be ignored by a team. Yeah. Like they're just that's the value. So if you if you remember that like. And all the control you have, you know, you can disagree with the system all you want to, but that's the system. So if you're a guy signing an extension like this, you know, in your rookie season, you're always going to get kind of screwed, frankly. If you become a good player, you're going to be underpaid the entire time by a lot. Yeah, he should wait till the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. But even if he even if he waits till the end of the year, he's going to get underpaid by a lot. That's how every single one of these extensions that's, that's in your rookie season or even anywhere near this this early, guys are going to get killed, and that's. You know, it's part of it. It's that you're giving up. You're trying to get security, and you know, for guys, that's that's life that's life changing money for anyone. Yeah. I mean, for as much as thirty six million dollars. Yeah. yeah, it seems like not like I mean, but even you know, Scott Kingery isn't quite the prospect that Albies is, but Scott Kingery guaranteeing himself to never have to work again in his life, yeah, is a big thing. So I mean, it's twenty four minutes. He could stop working out and stop giving yeah. two craps about baseball and he still gets $24 million tomorrow or well over the next six years. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things where you can't discount that kind of security and that's why teams offer it. It's because players might take it. And I have no idea what Ozzy would think. I think it's going to take more than that. As you kind of alluded to more, you know, that 36 range would probably be more reasonable. It just kind of comes down to how much the player and how much the player's representation and how much their their family values that security versus the risk of, you know, if you become awesome, if Ozzy Albies becomes a 5-1 player, he's going to be, you know, quote-unquote giving up tens of millions of dollars in that extension. Um, but if not, if he just becomes okay, you know, you have the security and, um, you know, the upside is not going to blow you out of the water. So, 
I think it, more importantly for a guy with his kind of talent level is to limit the amount of club options at the end. Because the earlier you can hit free agency, the better. And Ozzy is so young that he can hit free agency at 27 or 28 if he really wanted to. And that would be the perfect storm. We saw that with Jason Hayward, by the way, who hit free agency um, you know, in it, like directly in the middle of his prime. And he got paid accordingly as a result of that. Uh, whereas a lot of guys don't hit free agency until they're, what, 30 for the first time? A lot of guys. Yeah. Like if, they, if you exhaust, if you sign, if you sign a, a, an extension or if you don't get to the majors until you're 23, 24, you hit free agency at 30. And that... You know, a lot of players can still be good and get a lot of money in that contract, but it's basically just, just going to be that one contract. Whereas if yeah. you hit free agency at 27, 28, your second big contract could be big. So anyway, all that to say, without getting free agency too deep on that, I think that's probably reasonable. And the Kingery uh, is, uh, is actually instructive. I'm actually glad you mentioned that because I didn't put that together as a uh, as a comp, and that makes a lot of sense. I, I think it'll be kind of the baseline for yeah. top-level middle infielders. Now, you know, you someone mentioned... And we'll see. <laughs> yeah, you know, and someone you know, someone mentioned, uh, no, it was like a decade ago, but, you know, the first uh, big extension that Justin Upton signed is kind of a baseline for top-tier outfielders, which was, I think, six years and, I think, oh, 58 million guaranteed or something like that. And obviously, Upton was kind of the same top-prospect pedigree of Acuna, um, again, it's just you know, it's just me and you kind of guessing here. Who knows if either guy would be open to it? But I would imagine that would kind of be the the baseline for a deal. Yep, that's why we call it the mailbag. We can just uh, fool around. <laughs> good question. Good it question. was a good question from Corey. Um, real quick one here. This is kind of just getting at me more than anything. But from Mike Posta, he says, uh, "Did at BT Rowan get angry watching uh, Albert Almore attack from second on a shallow fly ball to right field, um, knowing that Acuna is going to play left field instead of right field?" <laughs> uh, no, angry is not the right word. Um, it's one of those things where I just laugh now <coughs> about Marcakis and all the things that he does. By the way, we should note he's been good this year. Defensively, yeah. not so much, but at the plate, he has hit. Um, it's not sustainable what he's been doing, but he had, what has he got? I'm looking it up now. It's like somewhere in the 135 range is a WRC plus, and you can't argue. Yeah, he's been terrible. No, he's been good. Um, I think. I think with well, and the thing with Marquez too, you know, you mentioned it, but if the Braves once Acuna comes up and they're able to keep one of either Lane Adams or or Burgess on the bench, if you can start subbing out Marquez as they did tonight, and you know maybe even moving Acuna to right and then bringing one of those guys into left, then you're talking about elite outfield defense. You're kind of minimalizing what Marquez hurts you late in games. And, and obviously those guys don't hit quite as well as Marquez. But again, if you're, if you're trying to protect the lead, that's, you know, it's, it's not the worst case scenario to do. Absolutely. And uh, we should say, I mean, there's been a lot of Marquez discussion on this podcast and elsewhere. I don't want to go down that road too much at this point, but uh, one thing that I, a point that I've made on Twitter this week, and I think is, pretty cut and dry is that if he hits at a reasonable level, he's going to play every single day that he's on the roster. Mm-hmm. Brian Snickers is not going to take him out of the lineup. Like the best case scenario, if Snickers managing, and he's on the roster is what happened tonight where you play him six innings and he and he comes to the bench after that for defense. If you're winning, that's great. But you know, all, all the theoreticals and all that fun stuff about Preston Tucker, I, I would be blown away legitimately if Marquez was on the team and not playing every day. Yeah, just because Snicker Snicker loves him, and that's you know I get it. There's the veteran presence stuff that we all that we all make fun of, and I think it's overrated by a big margin. But Snicker cares about that stuff, and Marquez does have does have MLB quality skills. He gets on base at a good rate. He always has. This year it's almost 400 right now, which is not necessarily sustainable. But even when he's been bad, it's been in the 340s. So he he's a guy who can 
hit at a big league level and defend at a slightly below average level or worse than that, obviously, if you put him in right field and have him be exposed. But he's not coming at all. He's not coming out of the lineup. That's that. I know it's it's fun for me and you and everybody else to consider Preston Tucker overcoming him, and I think that's the better scenario because Preston Tucker has some sort of future with the Braves if he pops, whereas Marquez doesn't. But I just don't, you know, this manager and this player are married to each other. <laughs> Until the end of time. They just are. I mean, it is what it is. You just, Marquez, when his contract expires, then there's something else. In, but I just think the only way that he's not playing every day in a corner outfield spot is if he gets traded. Which could happen, by the way. If, if AA looks down and says, hey, Snit, we don't want to play him anymore. And Snit says, I'm going to play him anyway. He says, okay, we're going to trade him. Bye. Hmm. That could happen, by the way. Like I'm not saying that exact that, that that exact thing could happen, but if he cools off, which he is going to, and Tucker is still good, like there's going to be some pressure on Snicker from somewhere. Maybe it'll be on Thopolis or the media or whoever wants to do it to play Tucker, and it's not going to be at the, at the expense of, of Acuna, as we all know. So let's hope not. Oh, can you imagine if Acuna has like a bad three weeks and people want to play? Uh, people <laughs> want to send him back down to Gwinnett. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I can't wait for that. It'll probably happen. Oh, it's going to happen, hundred um, <laughs> percent. Two more mailbag questions before we get out of here. Um, one of them I actually was going to ask earlier, and I forgot, so I want to get back to it now. Um, Saver Matrician Carl asks, "Will the Braves will Braves fans do the same thing, the same thing to Ronald Acuna that they did to Dansby Swanson?" And by that I mean put an insane amount of pressure to perform on him and turn violently against him when it doesn't happen consistently in his first full season. The answer, hmm. is, the answer is yes. Yeah, and that's not. I don't even know if it's necessarily just the Braves doing that. If anything, they've ha- they've been the ones that kind of put a little bit of a damper on the fire because anytime a guy is the number one prospect on ESPN and Baseball America, he's going to get the hype. Oh, I think uh, I, I think he, I think he means the fan base more than anything because I mean the team's going to do what the team's going to do. But of course, I mean naturally every every and that's not just the Braves. I mean every if there's a fan base out there that doesn't go crazy over its young players and put unfair expectations on them, then they're not really a fan base because they just have a hard <laughs> yeah. time believing that's, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's baseball, football, uh, basketball, hockey, whatever. I mean, that's going to be the case. So I, I'm sure it's going to inevitably happen. I hope for his sake, they, they allow him to kind of come into his own and there's going to be some growing pains. Inevitably, he's not going to come up and be Mike Trout right away. But I, I hope, uh, again, part of being a fan is, is being a fanatic, but um, I hope that he's at least given an opportunity to come into his own and not, be criticized. I think it's good that the Braves are going to be better whenever he debuts. It's not going to be all eyes on him, kind of as it was with Dansby uh, the last couple of years. You're going to have Albies. You're going to have Freeman. You're going to have Dansby. Or you know, he is not going to be the guy who pitchers game plan for. Um, he's going to be third or fourth on that list at least to start, and I think that'll they'll certainly help him as he breaks in. Yeah, that's a good point. I think. To a certain degree, it's going to be all eyes on him anyway because of the fact that he is at sort of a different level than even Swanson. I know Swanson was number one, number one overall pick in the draft, but no one ever had him yeah. as that kind of prospect overall, if that makes sense. Like he was more of that super polished, super safe college guy. Well, and when Dansby came up, the Braves were like 30 games below 500. Oh, that right? too. Yeah. I mean, it was all him at that point in time. I totally agree with that. I just think the Acuna bubble. Would have been more significant. I do. I do hope, and I agree with you that it's going to be a little bit muted because, well, if they're having success, if they suddenly start losing when he arrives, that's going to hurt a lot in terms of. Uh, yeah. Even if it's complete fluke, and it probably would be a complete fluke, but if they suddenly lose six in a row as he arrives, that'd be. Bad. <laughs> um, so hopefully that doesn't happen to Ronald. By the way, we should talk about Dansby real quick because I didn't spend too much time on that with uh, Eric last week about Swanson. He uh, he took he took an O for. Um, 
on Monday, but even with that, he now has a 150 WRC plus and has been great this season. Yeah. He's bad, still 432, which is not going to be sustainable. But um, a lot of growth from him. Are you encouraged? I think it's you kind of have to be encouraged. But yeah. I, guess, I guess how encouraged are you is probably a better question. I think he looks great. I think he's kind of doing what people expected, which is hit line drives. He's never going to be a 30 homer guy, but hit line drives. He he just looks like he's having fun, and I think the having fun thing is is kind of silly as far as the production thing goes. But I mean, you watched him last year; he was miserable. I mean, you would see him go 0 for 4 with you know his second strikeout of the day, or just you know go 0 for 4 and on that fourth at bat, just smack a line drive right at someone. He would you know drop his average down to 185. He just looked miserable last year. I think it was a guy who, for 20 years of his life, he played baseball and never struggled. And for the first time ever, it kind of all hit him at once. Um, he looks like he's enjoying himself. You're right. He's going to regress. He's not a 150 WRC plus guy moving forward, obviously. But again, I, I think the last time we talked, we talked about Dansby, and I said, hey, if he can get a, if he can get up to 100, 105, 110 WRC plus on the season, even like a 95 with solid defense and base running would be a resounding bounce back from, you know, the misery that was last year. So um, I think he looks great. I think he looks comfortable. He's having fun again. Um, and as we just talked about, he he's not the only guy who fans are watching. All of his at-bats aren't getting broken down. Um, he's kind of able to hide out right now, for better or worse, in that sixth or seventh spot in the order and kind of do his thing. And then, uh, you know, obviously as he continues to hit, in theory, he would move up. And But all good things from Dansby so far. Yeah, it's going to level out, but uh, hopefully not too much, as we've discussed numerous times. But I know I haven't given you the chance to talk about him yet, so there you go. Um, yeah. Last question, and a very <clears throat> interesting one, I thought, especially at this very early juncture. And all caveats apply. We know that it's mid-April. We know that, I promise. But Thomas Mulhelm asks, uh, this, he actually says it's a, perfect, that a perfect, it's a perfect question for April. But he says, what would it take for the Braves to be buyers at the deadline? And what could that look like? Mm. Um, they'd have to be above 500 to buy like to yeah. seriously buy that have to be above 500 even with the second wild card uh and that's not impossible because i mean it's not that you know as much as i don't think this is necessarily above an above 500 team they could certainly be above 500 at the deadline because that's not that huge sample but that's yeah. a minimum i think for them to actually go out and you know actively buy right i don't know yeah i think it's a scenario now when we say buy you know would they go out and spend a you know, one of their middle, like a Travis Demerit type prospect for a two months of a reliever rental. No, I don't think no. they're going to be buyers in that sense. But if, uh, but if there's a guy who's controlled through 2019 and beyond, I think everyone is in play. I mean, it's kind of similar to what Copy used to say. Obviously, the Braves have, have kind of his during his uh, tenure never really in a situation at the All Star break to be buyers, but. I think if you're Anthopolis, you look, and if there's a guy who fits and is signed for multiple years and at a reasonable cost, then uh, sure, why not? Even if the Braves are out of contention, I would hope that if there's an opportunity to si- sign a, a corner outfielder for three years or who signed for three years, then you do it. Um, but it's, I, I don't see them buying any rentals. But again, if someone signed beyond 2018, uh, it wouldn't surprise me whether they're over 500 or not. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I. It does depend on your definition of buying, and that's something that has to be sort of laid out here. Is that, yeah, you're, you know, the, 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 the traditional sense of buying is that is that one year rental guy, and I mean it have to be a freakish run where the Braves had the division lead for them to actually right. do that. Right, um, like the Braves buying is different than what the Yankees will do as buyers at the deadline. Absolutely, or the Nationals, or like anybody that's in win now mode. 
is going yeah. to buy in a different way than the Braves would. Or, you know, other teams that are hot right now, like the Pirates are 11-5 and five randomly. Um, that's a team that also probably wouldn't go out and just suddenly buy at the deadline, like in a traditional sense. Um, yeah. But, you know, the Braves are 9-6 and six right now. There's a lot of time between now and then. I'm expecting still the regression. I mean, all the... All the systems that look at this stuff, fan graphs and baseball perspectives, all still project the Braves to finish with a, with a sub-500 record for a reason. It's because you know, you're not going to overreact based on 15 games. And, but, I mean, th- there is a scenario in which the team, you know, all the stars align and Acuna's good, and we talked about this a lot in the offseason. If you get this Swanson and this Albies and, and what we think is going to be Acuna and some reasonable pitching, you're talking about a team that's a lot more fun and a lot more dangerous. So maybe. Yeah, I don't think, you know, it's interesting, and we were talking a little about this before, but when you watch the Braves, at least through the first two weeks or, you know, 15 games, or they don't seem, even though they're 9-6, and six, it doesn't feel like the bottom is just waiting to fall out, you know? No. Like, you look at the Pirates right now at 11-4, and four, as you said, that feels like a team, you're just, and they lost tonight, you're... They're just kind of waiting. We just look at that roster, and you're just kind of waiting for the two and twelve stretch to happen. Well, and they're and they're plus fifteen with an eleven and five record. The Braves are plus twenty seven with a nine and six record. By the way, right? I mean, it's yeah. too early for all that to actually care about. But like being, you know, being six games over five hundred with a plus fifteen differential is uh, not not necessarily super indicative of positivity. Well, and and other than Tampa, who I think has already played the Yankees and the Red Sox twice. I'm not sure there's a team that's had a tougher schedule, early schedule so far than the Braves. You talk about the Nats twice, Phillies twice, at the Rockies, and in cold temperatures too. Nonetheless, you know, they've already gotten, you look at the National League for road trips, they've already gotten the Cubs out of the way. Well, well, I guess they're going to have the one get the one gamer up there, <laughs> mostly out of the way. Um, <laughs> and you get the you get the Rockies out of the way. So you look at the non NL East road trips that you make. You can make an argument that really two of maybe the four toughest you're going to make all year already over with uh, two weeks into the season. You still have to go to Arizona and LA, obviously. Um, and, and you know, the Brewers and the Cardinals aren't going to be cakewalks, but it's not as if they're nine and six and they've played, you know, as, as a team like the pirates or even the Phillies have, um, and have played the reds and the rays and the, you know, the, the Marlins two times and, and all that. Yeah. Shots to the Marlins who <laughs> are as bad as they're supposed to be frankly they got a, a pissed off yankees team tonight that dropped like 15 runs on them and i think they're probably going to do that the next couple nights with just the way the yankees have struggled early on i mean the marlins are horrific too they're four and 12 minus 46 yeah and i think like three of their wins are in extra innings too so those don't exactly seem you know sustainable and continuing oh it is they're definitely not that's they're bad it's, it is what it is but yeah i mean it's it's always going to be interesting to see what happens here and i think it's uh, after this question, I'm going to put a, memor- a moratorium on answering uh, playoff questions until uh, maybe mid-May or Memorial Day or something like that. But it's been yeah. fun so far. Long, so. long season. It has been fun. I mean, there was what was it two years ago? The year that Freddie got fired, the Braves were like two and twenty at one point or oh, something like it that. Was so bad for a while there. It really was. You talk about being a fan. I mean, it's hard even even the diest you know the biggest of diehards. You turn on a team that's two and twenty. That that's you know the, the people who can still still tune in every night when they're two and twenty. Those are the ones who you know the real the real MVPs of the fan base because it's nice to at least have a team that seems like they're on the right path and is competitive and and, and has a shot to you know to put together a five hundred season or something like that. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, yeah, should be very interesting. 
to see what happens over the next couple of months. But uh, Scott, thank you, man. Um, oh, by the way, I wish to talk about something. I have this note in, in, in bold letters. Um, Ivan, the great, um, wrote a great column about Dansby Swanson that I should have referenced when we were talking about Dansby on TalkingShop.com. Mm. So please go read that. He is very smart and breaks down things at a deeper level than I'm ever going to be able to do. So I Same. recommend checking that out to be sure if you're interested in Dansby's uh, progression and, and improvement. I uh, somehow missed my big, bold letters to talk about that when we talked about it. So <laughs> Putting that out there, Ivan did a great work. Um, if you want to yell at me about Ender Enciarte, please do that. Also, Scott wrote about his lineup choices that we discussed earlier uh, last week. Please write, it, please read that, and whatever else that Scott has to have. Any, anything else that you've written lately that I that I missed? I'm sure I have some, missed something. <laughs> uh, nothing too much. You talked about the uh, the lineup, and obviously, you know, we have the team doing kind of the daily news updates and everything. So uh, it's been fun. Again, as you said, it's it's easier to write about a team that's winning than losing. Um, as you and I both know, the last couple of years when it's August and the team is 30 games below 500, it's not the easiest thing to do uh, is try to find stuff to write about when a team is, you know, just lost their 85th game of the year. So uh, it's been fun and it, you know, makes it fun, makes our podcast better because, again, there's only so much you can talk about when when they're 21 games out of first place. Yeah, I can confirm on that. So hopefully this, <laughs> this keeps up. Uh, I have no desire this year to... Uh, do the same podcast we've been doing for the last, uh, you know, three seasons in uh, in July and August about how you know at, you know at least post deadline until the deadline there's always always interesting stuff to talk about but that those August podcasts man they get uh, they get lonely and dark <laughs> and the one time they were actually good in September it resulted in Bryce Sicker being hired full time so congratulations that's <laughs> a win win couldn't get out of here without taking shots in it. So speaking of which what day what day do teams have to get to before you start to buy them as, okay, if they were supposed to be bad and they're good, maybe they're legitimately better than we thought. Or if a team that was supposed to be good is bad, then you think, okay, maybe they're just not going to do it this year. I mean, Memorial Day is the cliche for a reason, I think. Because like, yeah. that's it's two I was full months. Yeah, I was thinking June 1st. Yeah, which is basically the same thing. It's like that's like four days away from Memorial like, Yeah, I, I think it's <laughs> right. two, month, two months of time is – it's not enough to like throw out everything beforehand, but it's also enough to say, even if there was some fluky stuff going on, it matters because all the wins are banked at that point in time, if that makes sense. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. sure I'm going to like totally change my opinion of a team based on two months, but if, for instance, the Braves, you know, in their first 60 games were, you know, 36 and 24, that matters. Even, even if I don't buy them as that team moving forward, they've banked right. 36 wins. So, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough swing and I, I guess it all depends on how how big the gap is like if it was the marlins going 30 and 30 in 60 games i would say right. they're still going to be terrible because look at their roster but if yeah. it's a team like the braves that has young talent and that young talent's performing well then you can change your mind a little bit because it's like actual tangible stuff that makes sense yeah like the 2015 team that was 500 in like july 1st when they had like juan uribe and and oh. kelly johnson and oh, yeah. um God knows whoever else <clears throat> you knew Jason Grilly. You knew the wheels were going to fall off at some point, oh, and then they had to Jason Grilly. Jason Grilly, fire up the Grilly. Oh my uh, God, I haven't thought about that name in a long time. So thank you. That. Just, yeah, that's what we get when it's well, I guess midnight Eastern now on the pod. It is midnight Eastern. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm basically in a, in a fugue state. This is one of those things. One times when it's nice for you as uh, three hours behind me to. Be I was nice say you probably want to go to bed and want me to shut up about Jason Grilly. No, I'm, I'm always good for Jason Grilly talk. That's no problem whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, anyway, well, thank you, Scott. I appreciate it, man. Um, anything else you want to get out there, please do. But uh, follow Scott on Twitter. He's, he's a good follow. 
I'm okay. It's now that college basketball is wrapped up. I don't complain as much about Arizona, but <laughs> I'm sure I'll. And the Blues missed the NHL playoffs, so uh, I probably won't be as. Oh, I usually... miss I, I miss Scott's NHL playoff takes. <laughs> yeah, I'm it's not a like big this, hockey guy, so I have to like live. the six games a year that I can actually watch because they're never on TV out yeah, here. I've lived through, through other people on the hockey because our team yeah. uh, left. Hockey so. playoffs are great, though. I mean, I don't care as much this year because they're not in it, but. The NHL playoffs are, I think, they're the best pro playoffs there are. Now, obviously, most people here probably don't give two rats about hockey, but it really is fun if you're ever sitting around one night, you know, watch the, you know, Western Conference Finals game. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, I can vouch for playoff hockey to some degree. I'm not going to be super locked in until we stay during the playoffs, but it is, it is a good product, and I enjoy it. So, All right, man. Well, thank you. And if everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast. If you haven't done that already, I really appreciate that. Leave some feedback for us, hopefully positive. But if you don't like the show, let us know that too and tell us what we can do to improve. If you hate me, then I'm sorry. You're probably going to hate the show. <laughs> but uh, the guests were, will carry me in that instance. So as for everybody else, we'll, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Hopefully we'll be back, back to a Sunday night recording time, some more normality. And we'll uh, see you guys next week.